the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance show. In this episode, I talk to communications coach Tiffany Barnard about the lost art of communication in the modern world and how we can all become better communicators, both in our personal life and at work. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. Tiffany, here is my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? Ah, oh, that is a really good question. Self-reliance. I guess that for me, it um, it means having faith in yourself that you um, are able to do what's best for you. Um, I know that um, I consider myself to have been self-reliant for pretty much my entire life, um, having been sent away to boarding school at quite a young age. Um, and it's a question of having faith that you know what's right for you and being able then also to take responsibility for the decisions that you made. So my question to that, because now we've discovered that we both originally from the African continent. Yeah. How would you say living in Africa lends to being self-reliant? Cause I get the sense and typically what I've experienced is most of us that come from that part of the world, we learn to be self-reliant really early on. <laughs> Um, um, yes, is the short answer to that. Um, I think that when I think when you have any experience in Africa, you know, Africa doesn't work the same way as Europe does. Um, I can't speak for America or or the Far East because I have no experience there. But for sure, Africa is special. Um, Africa is is fabulous and spectacular and frustrating and testing and all these amazing things in one go and yeah it, it does teach you how to think outside of the box how to make things work in in maybe not a way that you would necessarily expect and I know that it's definitely made me um, more flexible maybe more ingenious um, ingenious maybe a fancy word but um, you know being able to think outside of the box is definitely one of the things that I do well as a res as a result I think of of living in Africa. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean there's that saying from South Africa, it's an Afrikaans saying, a boer make a plan. You know, a, a farmer makes a plan. And that was my experience, right? It's like you just exactly as you said, you think outside the box, you find a solution that may not be immediately evident, but you always figure out a way to get to where you need to get to. So that's definitely um, and an African positive character trait that I tend to find with people like ourselves who have come from that part of the world. Yeah. And just to add that, I think that we're very good also at looking at a situation and very quickly being able to um, see what could possibly go wrong. Not just one thing, but like a variety of different potential obstacles um, and being able to come up with a solution for that. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably even say it like a little bit less eloquently. We definitely have the ability to spot bullshit. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, there's two, there's two, you said the Afrikaans saying, there's two sayings that come to mind that, that were bandied around a lot when I was growing up. One was that Murphy was born in Africa. And the other one is that man plans and God laughs, especially in Africa. So yeah, it's, um, I think we're very down to earth. I think we're very straightforward. And that's something that my clients appreciate is the fact that, um, I am. I press them when they need to be pressed. I'm not somebody who's going to be fluffy and allow you to just sort of wander all over the place because it makes you feel good. So I think we are straightforward. Yeah, no, I love that because I would say the same thing. I mean, what I'm most known for outside of the podcast and, you know, my academic background is for the longest time I've been teaching martial arts and I've had the great honor of traveling all over the world teaching and i definitely think that most people when they describe me will say that right rodney is a straight shooter to the point no messing around no flowery stuff just say it as it is right and that again you know it comes back to all these things that we we're talking about exactly exactly people know where they stand um with me um so yeah i like that so that's actually a really good segue into what i want to talk to you about communication and the reason I want to talk about communication is because I think there's a lack of it. Um, I think it's a it's definitely a lost art in the 21st century. I'd love to get your take on why you think that is the case, or even if you even agree with me. Oh, no, I absolutely agree with you. And the reason why I love communication is becoming more and more... Um, I'm, I'm becoming rather more and more passionate about it, is that we're never taught how to communicate. I mean, even even our generation, we're not taught how to communicate. Yeah. You know, it's like when you ask somebody, you know, do you communicate? Um, they all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say, no, actually, you talk, you know, you speak. But do you communicate? Do you actually get across what it is that, you know, is in your mind? Because people very often don't realize that you can only be sure of what you're saying, not what the other person is hearing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that today you're absolutely right. I think communication, I mean, I don't, I mean, I get really nervous around emoticons and emojis because I mean, you know, different things have got different meanings and I actually sometimes have to check them just before I start using them to make sure that it's not a random, you know, connotation there. Um, so I think the art of communication has definitely been lost. And I mm -hmm. think that, um, it's communication happens all through our all through the day, you know, with with our spouses, with our partners, with our children, with our neighbors, with our work, you know, colleagues. Um, and it is there's, there's certain words that when you use them, you're setting yourself up for disaster, for example. Um, and just knowing, you know, knowing how to communicate what it is that you want to say in a way that the other person is going to hear what it is that you want to say. So digging deeper into that, this is what I've noticed just in my own professional life is that you can have a relationship with somebody. And when I say relationship, obviously relationships in the modern world have changed. And what I mean by that is not necessarily a one-to-one -one relationship where I see somebody every single day. Let's take an example where it's a professional relationship. Yes, I've seen this person you know, several times throughout our relationship, maybe one-to-one, -one, but most of our relationship now is done via distance, right? So we, we either through WhatsApp, you know, something like Zoom and so forth. What I find is that 
you know, people will make decisions. They'll say, I don't want to do X anymore. And then just sever a relationship with you. But it literally comes out of left field. Like it comes out, in my opinion, it comes out of the blue. Like nowhere along the line of leading up to this decision that they've made at any point in time, have they, for example, uh, sent me a message, called me up and said, hey, Rodney, listen, I'm a little bit concerned about this or I'm not happy with the way this is going. Can we talk about it? Can we explore it? Can we find a solution? Basically, I'm unhappy. Can we find a way to, to, to work through this? It just literally is silence. You think everything's okay. And then suddenly, bam, you get a WhatsApp. This is how people do it these days. A WhatsApp or an email bowing out, oftentimes with reasons that are not really real reasons. And I keep thinking to myself, almost without exception, every single one of these situations could have been solved and resolved had the person actually reached out to me, or it could be for anybody for that matter, and actually had a conversation. And I keep asking myself, why is this? And it's not just people in our generation doing this. It's people that are younger than us as well, millennials and so forth. It's across the board. So what has actually happened? Like, I'm trying to figure it out for myself and I can't figure it out. Like, what is that? Because every time I have a problem with somebody, I go and just have a discussion with them. You know, and I know sometimes, of course, there can be lots of variables, right? It's uncomfortable. You you don't want to necessarily have that conversation. But what's actually going on? I mean, have you got any insight? Have you noticed this as well? Um, absolutely. And and I mean, I'm smiling here to myself because, you know, you're saying you're saying that, you know, it can be uncomfortable, you know, it's unknown. And I think people are scared of, of, of having that conversation. Um, I know that, you know, it, in my in my in my life, um, I spent many years avoiding a conversation with my children. Um, their father their father died ten years ago now, and I avoided that conversation for years um, because it was uncomfortable and because I didn't know what was going to be said. But actually, worse than that, I interpreted and I assumed what their reaction was going to be. And I think that's what people do. They get into their head and they're like, "Oh, but." You know, if I call up Dr. King, he's going to say this and he's going to say that. And then I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. And by the time they finish, they're like, well, forget about it. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to send them an email and tell them to, you know, bugger off. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the problem. There's a lot of interpretation. This is why it's like, you know, um, people are scared of communication. And today it's so easy. Send a WhatsApp, you know, with a little emoticon. Um, my son was... Um, is applying for he's, he's applying for scholarships in the states. He wants to go on a football scholarship, soccer scholarship, and he applied to one. And for various reasons, um, he was not interested. But it was more because of them than because of him. So um, I wrote an email asking for the application fee to come back, and I get this this very sort of nondescript thing going. Oh, and uh, yes, right at the end. By the way, the application fee is non refundable. Thanks for asking. And I just went. That incensed me. Thanks for asking. I'm not asking. You know, it's not like, would you like to come and have a pizza with me? No. So I think it's people don't understand the power of words. And people also assume that they know what you're going to say. Um, and as a result of that, avoid the conversation completely. So within that, what I would probably say as well is that people have become very siloed 
They're very much insular within their world and how they perceive the world. And what they also don't want is they don't want to be challenged. And I think part of people not wanting to have that conversation is they don't want to have the conversation that in actual fact, they may be the problem, that they may be incorrect, right? And that's a then that's a conversation you don't want to have because now your ego does everything it possibly can to always make you look like you're in the right, even when you're in the wrong. I mean, if I just think, if I just think of like, you know, when we have an argument with somebody that we love, right? How difficult it is for one side to acknowledge that they may be the problem and to apologize. And I think this is part of it as well, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, one thing when, that comes up for me when you're talking about having an argument with someone we love is at the end of the day, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Um, and I think a lot of the time people choose, it's not that they choose, it's like human nature, um, we want to be right. Um, and and we will fight to be right, even, even if we think that there might be a possibility that we're wrong in certain situations, we'll fight to be right. Um, and um, there was something else that came up for me as well, which has completely disappeared. So obviously it wasn't that profound. Um, but it is true that people don't want to be wrong and 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 they'll avoid that. It's outside of their comfort zone. Um, but I would say that if they have an if they have an inkling that they might be wrong and they're avoiding the conversation because of that inkling, then somewhere there is an element of um, let's say shame, guilt, something around there. Um, because they're not having the conversation because they know that maybe they're wrong. So, Yeah, and I guess also added to this, because I think it's all connected, there is a shift towards people not wanting to feel what they feel. That's the sense that I get. You know, there's this kind of, I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel guilty. I don't want to feel that I'm in the wrong. And so rather than dealing with that, there is this passing on, right? Okay, well, I'll, I'll just make this decision. I'll sever the communication. Then not only is that problem out the way, but I also don't have to now deal with the way that I'm actually feeling and thinking. It's really interesting because one of the, my training is all around energy, energy, the way that people present themselves, the way that they show up. And basically the idea is that there's seven levels of energy, but generally the world functions within the first two. And the first two levels, level one and two, are what we call catabolic, and they're quite negative levels of energy. They're actually sort of destructive. The first level is the victim level. Oh, woe is me, life happens to me, everything's unfair, everybody else is lucky, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm never going to succeed because I'm unlucky. Um, it's an I lose mindset, whereas level two is the I am going to win whatever happens. And it's a very aggressive, um, fear-driven, um, energetic mindset. And it is a question of I have to win. I don't care what happens to everybody else. Dog eat dog. If I don't do it for myself, nobody's going to do it for me. And that is where the, well, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to cut ties because in any case, the guy's wrong um, and is better for me. And this way, it's just, it works out better for me. It's all me. It's like, it's super, super ego-based there. Um, and I think it's, um, it's a place where a lot of people live. The majority of people actually live there. 
I think you've actually hit something that's really important, that level two. I think that kind of really does answer a lot of what we've been talking about up until now. The question then is, I'm assuming that there are other levels, right, that are a little oh, bit yeah. <laughs> more productive. So The thing is then, yeah. Sorry, how do we Harry. get there? So the question is like, okay, so how do we shift to that, ah, to the upper levels? This is the thing. I think first is actual, the first step in any of this is awareness of where you are and how you're showing up. Because a lot of people don't want to actually look at themselves. They don't want to, they don't want to take the blame. You know, they'd rather be, they'd rather be right, in fact. So the first level is awareness. You need to be aware of how you're showing up. After that, if you have acceptance, you know, then you can actually start to say, okay, well, this is what I am. Um, this is what I've done. Um, you need to take responsibility for, you know, everything that's happened in your life. Because at some stage, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how horrible. Somewhere you have your responsibility to bear. It may be very minimal or it may be all of it. But the fact of the matter is we all have responsibility that we need to take for ourselves. And once we've done that, then we can have a better understanding of who we are. Understand that we have choice. And I think this is a great thing with coaching is that it actually gives, well, at least my clients back the idea or, or it reinforces the fact that they have choice on everything, the way that they react, respond, show up, everything is a choice. So once you have that, you can then move up. So level three, which is kind of positive, but can be negative, is that is that sort of, um, you're looking for cooperation, okay? But level three is also the frazzled mum who's going to do everything for everybody, complains that, you know, nobody's helping her. Then when somebody says, can I give you a hand? She's like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. But then carries on. That's kind of level three, you know. it's um, And then as you move up, you go to, you know, compassion, looking, you know, service, um, looking for a win-win situation, synergy, working with others. And then you've got level seven, which is absolute joy, um, which we can't live at because it's uh, so it's a fleeting. But we actually go through these seven levels, all of us, all through the day, depending on whether we're stressed, not stressed, whether we're tired, whether we're, you know, what's going on, what's influencing us. I think the idea of self-awareness is something I've spoken about on other episodes with other guests. I think that's super important. The thing is that I notice is just on that, in a, using my 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 kind of example, you know, just dealing with people in a professional setting, is that even though I have said multiple times throughout the relationship, if there's a problem, talk to me. Everything can be resolved with with good conversation, good good communication, especially if we're coming both from the same place, right? We're saying, okay, th this relationship's important, and we both want to work it out. But even with saying that it still doesn't seem to hit the mark. It still doesn't seem to make any difference. So the way that I've tried to approach it now is this, is that I have to be the change that I want to see in the world. And so really what it comes down to is that while I may not be able to change other people in how they are responding to situations and how they're showing up, I definitely can. And I think that is a good place to start and a window into this idea of being self-aware because it also means that I have to acknowledge that I may not always be easy to talk to. I may not always, it may not be easy for people just to come up to me and express what they need to express. And how can I 
recalibrate myself so that that does become easier for people to talk to me. It's very interesting when you said that, you know, you, you can't change others. Um, when I started going through the whole um, life coaching training journey, there's a lot of introspection that is required. I mean, basically, we, you know, we have to look at everything. We have to question everything. Um, and I mean, the first question that you're asked is, who are you? Which I just thought was a stupid question at the time. I'm like, well, that's just ridiculous. You know, who am I? And in fact, my reaction, I realized now, was because I was embarrassed that I didn't know. Now, after, you know, partway through all of this, I remember having, um, so it was, it was last year during the last training that I did, and we had a breakout room. And um, so I was with another coach, and she was like, so what do you want to talk about today? So I'm like, well, I've got this problem with this person. I've done all of this work, and I've changed, and they're still the same, you know? It's like, what do I do? And she said to me, she said, Tiffany, she said, you cannot change anybody else. And I was just like, a, it was like a wall that hit me. I was suddenly this illuminated. It was like the wall just exploded actually in front of me and I could see. And I was like, you're absolutely right. We can't change anyone. We can only change how we, well, hopefully respond to them. And it is a question of, especially with our, with our close relationships, of even with children, people are always trying to change kids. You know, I wish they were like this. I wish they were like that. They are like who they are. Um, and if you can actually just take a breath in a situation that is maybe taxing or stressful or uncomfortable, conversations, a lot of people avoid them because they're worried about having conflict of some description. But if you can just take a breath and say, okay, you know, the person in front of me is the person in front of me. Know who they are and actually speak to who they are rather than who you would like them to be because they're not that person. Um, you know, and... And I think that's what's really important is understanding who we're talking to. Um, and I know that my coaching journey has definitely changed the way that I interact with those people closest to me. No, that's good. I was thinking as you were saying that, you know, I was just reflecting on self-awareness and just your, um, you know, your story of being asked in the beginning of your coaching journey, who are you? And you were like, oh, that's a ridiculous question. Why are you even asking that? Right. <laughs> So that might also be the thing for a lot of people is that maybe they're just not self-aware. Maybe they're not spending any amount of time looking inward and actually trying to discover who they are. And then I was thinking, okay, well, if that's the case, like maybe there might be another way to bring this to the light, right? So how can we bring this out? And one way I would think of doing that would be to ask somebody, what do they value? What are their values? Mm -hmm. Like you were saying, like you need to know who you're speaking to. But let's say I don't know who this person is, at least not deeply. I get the periphery, but I don't really know. It might be pertinent. And of course, you need to you know, say this in a way that comes across as not arrogant. But the question would be, so what do you actually value? Like what is important to you? What are your values? Because that to me is a really good starting point into this idea of being self-aware. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um Absolutely, 100%. And in fact, one of the things that I realized um, on the journey that I've done is that for 20 years, my values were completely contorted. Um, and they were contorted for various reasons. Um, but the, the fact that I actually stopped and looked and said, okay, who am I? It was that question that set me off. Who I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what my values were. I was being 
No, you see, okay, I catch myself. I was going to say I was being forced to live against my values, but that's not true because I've taken responsibility for it because I had a choice um, and I chose to stay. So um, I know what my values are now and I feel as if a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. And I also, because of that self-awareness, have the confidence to be able to say, I'm not, I'm not doing that or I don't agree or, you know, that's wrong from my point of view, because it goes against my values. Values are so fundamentally important. But when you ask somebody, what are your values? Very often they don't understand what you're talking about. I mean, my value, my my top value is my family. There is nothing that I value more than that. Um, then there's other values that I have, like integrity, professionalism, um, all of these things come in. But, you know, when you ask somebody, what do you value? They don't know. And I think it is so important to understand what it is that drives you, what it is um, that that is important to you in every day. What is it that irritates you about somebody? You know, when when something, you know, because that's when your values are being compromised is when that irritation, that frustration comes in because they're late or the email is spelt, you know, got bad spelling, grammar's not correct. What are those things that niggle you when somebody, you know, that's your values being compromised. Yeah. And there's the other side of this too, right? Tiffany, if you think about like, again, just the examples that we've been giving, the sense of feeling like there must be something wrong with you when people are not communicating with you. So I've had that. I was like, why are people doing this? Like, why are they showing up in this way? Is there something I'm doing wrong? I must be doing something wrong. And you get down on yourself for a while, right? Mm -hmm. The way that I reframe that for myself is bringing it back to the conversation about values is that I know what I value. Mm -hmm. And I have to ask myself that in this relationship up until this point, at any point in time, did I disavow any of my values? Did I compromise my values? And if I can honestly say that I haven't, then I'm okay with the way things ended up because I can go to bed at night time with a clear conscience and say, actually, I never treated that person in any way, shape, or form that warrants this kind of behavior. And that's a really good thing. But I think also after a while when people are communicating and they're just not having people come back with back to them and there's no communication in return, it can be quite disheartening. You know, we 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 can't be friends with everybody. We're not we're not programmed that way. <clears throat> so um there is a there is a level of um you know, it's it's not about me. Um, as you said, you look at you look at how you've been acting. You look at how you've conducted yourself, and you know you you've lived in accordance with your values. You've honoured yourself. You've respected yourself. Um, if there is a persistent, um, if there is a persistent sort of reluctance to communicate with you, well, then I would suggest maybe um, maybe there's an inflexibility. Um, it's one thing to have your own values, but we also have to accept and honor that other people have their values. Um, you know, and and we are all perfect just the way that we are, basically. You know, it's we're all on a journey and, you know, other people have their values too. And if they're not the same as us, then that's fine. Um, I would say, you know, for me, you can have whatever values you like, as long as you're being true to yourself. Um, I think, you know, the authenticity is what is important there. So, you know, yeah, have your values, but also honor other people's values at the same time.
So building off that, I think one of the things that maybe we can talk about is, you know, somebody wanting to communicate, feeling a little bit concerned to do that. Maybe they don't feel confident enough to say what they need to say. How would you suggest they go about that? Like, how would you work with one of your clients then to be more confident and assertive in their communication, but at the same time, without being aggressive or confrontational? Absolutely. Um, it- it's a, it's a really interesting question, and it depends what what the communication is geared around. So, for example, if it is somebody who wants to communicate with their partner or their spouse, um, you know, what is it that's stopping the communication? What is the, the 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 block to the communication? So, very often, it is a question of, well, you know, I asked a question, they said this, but I know that that's not what they mean. So you say, well. What evidence do you have, you know, that that's not what the other person means? Why is it that you're so sure? Well, because, and that generally that I know that that's not what they mean. That comes from, again, a place of uh, a place of shame or guilt. It's like, you know, I, I've asked them if we can do this. They said yes, but I know that they don't want to do it. So why do they not want to do it? Well, because I know it's not really their thing and I feel bad asking them and they're just being, so the whole thing gets a bit complicated. So, you know, Having confidence is like having confidence, know the words that you're using. Um, for example, don't ever start a conversation with, you know what, you always say this because I can promise you, you're going to have conflict, you know, or you never, another one, going to have conflict. Don't use but. I love you, but. Okay, the but's just gone out, the, the, the I love you's just gone out the window and whatever comes up after the but, and that's something that that really sort of struck me where um, in a conversation with my son, he was doing really well at school. I was a bit concerned that he was getting complacent. All right. And, and I was about to go in and say to him, you know, I am so proud of everything that you're doing, but I'm worried that grades are going to slip next, next, next term. And I sat down and I thought, oh, that sounds awful. So I went in and I went, you know what? I'm really proud of what you're doing. And I know that if you keep working like you're working, you're going to just, you're going to rock it next term. And he was like, oh, thanks, mom. That one word, changing it, was the difference between positive and negative uh, receptance. So it is a question of what you want to say, what you want them to hear, I think is probably the biggest question. Um, You know, so many misunderstandings. And then, you know, the, the question about how should I know? How should I know? Ask. Ask. If you don't, if you're not sure, if you feel triggered, ask. Okay, this is what I heard. What did you mean? It's very simple things that can be done in a way that don't trigger conflict, you know, that um, that actually, if you if you take a deep breath, it's always scary at the beginning because it's change and change scares everybody yes but they're gonna do this and they're gonna you don't know what they're gonna do so just try it i always say to my clients you don't know try it all right you can sue me if it doesn't work but it always works there's two things that stand out there for me the one was i think there is some value in just spending a little bit of time as you noted just rehearsing a little bit in your head especially if it's a difficult conversation, you know, it's around conflict, for example, about how you're going to approach this and what you're going to say. 
and just think a little bit about the words as you noted. If if I say it this way, it's likely going to create more conflict. Is there a way that I can bring this across in such a way that it doesn't do that, but at least get my point across? Exactly. And then the other thing is also is to look at it, you know, especially with because conflict is very often a perception that we have. It's we're assuming that it's going to come to conflict. So um, one example that I have, I have a client that that is in a situation uh, professionally wise where he can either go here or he can go here. Um, one way means a big change for his family. And he was all in his head about what the family was going to say and what his wife was going to say. And so my question to him was, why do you feel that you have to make this decision all by yourself? And he said, well, okay, well, you know, what are the options? I said, well, what are the options? He said, well, you know, I can talk to my wife. I said, yeah, absolutely. How are you going to talk to your wife? And he was like, well, I guess I could ask for her help. And that very simple thing of saying, you know what, I've got, this is what's going on. And because, you know, he'd been, he, he was feeling a bit guilty because he was being distracted. He felt as if he was being torn into. And I, that simple thing of actually going to his wife, who he loves and trusts, and saying, help me. He said it was amazing. He said, because in my head, it was going to be an argument because she was going to say this and she wanted to stay here and I wanted to do that. None of that happened. Help me. And I think that's where coaches can be very effective. And the reason to have a coach is that we get so mixed up and bought to our story and our narrative. It's hard to see, you know, the trees for the forest. And so what you gave as an example there, what it spoke to me of is just giving clarity. And I think this is where coaches can really be effective is that when you're really struggling with all this kind of internal stuff, when you speak to a coach, a good coach, they can give you clarity in a situation where maybe it might be difficult to find that on your own. Absolutely. And, you know, what I like to what I like to think that, you know, how I help my clients is by giving them the space to explore. So in a situation where you're stressed, um, the natural physiological reaction, if you like, or mental reaction is to close in, is to not be able to see the, the the forest for the trees is not to see the the options and to think well like, you know I've only got one way that I can go but by saying okay well let's just this is a safe space imagine imagine you could do whatever you like what would be you know your ideal way forward and I'd be, I do blah 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 okay well you know why is it that you can't do that um, and it's just giving them space and giving them some perspective the other thing is the coach is you know. If you do A or you do B, I'm not attached to either outcome, okay? You are the expert of you, not me. And even if I have a similar situation where something has worked for me, you may ask for my advice, but I'll tell you, this worked for me. It doesn't mean it's going to work for anybody else. So I'm not attached to the outcome, like, for example, friends and family might be, because they always think they know what's best for you. You should do this. You shouldn't do that. I'm there literally to give you the space to ask the questions to get you to start thinking outside of the box. And, you know, well, what would be, well, there isn't any other way. Well, okay, let's just have a look at that. You know, it's like, why do you feel like that? Um, and and it's, it's an amazing, it's amazing how somebody's perspective can change literally just by asking a couple of questions. So yeah, clarity is a big thing that you get from, from coaching. 
I latched onto the word there too that you mentioned explore. And one thing that might be helpful for some people is when you get so caught up in your narrative, it, as you said, it's very difficult to see options. And one way to explore that might be literally to have a journal and write, write down all the potential ways to approach this problem with what you think is you know, going to be either the positive or the negative, but at least explore options. Because it's hard to, when you, especially when you all worked up and you stressed out, it's hard to you know, manifest all different options and attend to them equally because it's all over the place. But I think if you write it out, it's a more productive way of approaching that because then you can actually separate them out and actually look at them individually. It's a very interesting idea that you've come up with there because it actually touches on on a couple of different things. First of all, you know, journaling, getting getting the white noise out of your head and onto paper. Um, and, you know, at the beginning, I always say to my clients, don't think about it. Even if it's random words that don't make any sense, just get it out. The other thing is that the 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 stress and anxiety that we feel 90% of the time comes from the fact that we're thinking about something that hasn't happened. It's something in the future. Um, we're living in the future, and that's where stress and anxiety reside. Fabulous. Let's wallow in that. When we're stuck with the thoughts, the anxiety rises. As soon as we take action, our brains feel more in control. We feel more in control. So the very act that we are writing in a journal is taking action. So we will inevitably just be able to calm down literally just by doing something. Um, rather than thinking about what we should do and, you know, coming up with all the reasons why we can't do it, why it's not going to work, there's no point, blah, 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 and then pff, all goes horribly wrong. Yeah, and for those people that that may not work for, the other way in which I found is very effective is through being more present. And that was actually the focus of my doctorate. I researched mindfulness, and it was specifically geared towards how important being present you know, is to leaders and, and how it can enhance their performance. So I can tell a quick interesting story there is I taught a group of leaders from different industries how to be more present. I took them through a really cool novel experience. And then the goal was for them to go into the workplace the next week, practice those tools to be more mindful, to be more present. And then the following weekend, I had interviews with them and we discussed, well, what was the outcome? And the main focus there was exactly what you noted was that we spend so much of our time in the future, but we also spend so much of our time in the past, like what went wrong, right? And so what happens if you're able to just be present in the moment as much as you possibly can without judging the experience that you're having? And, and as we've you know, been talking about communication, you're sitting with somebody. A lot of the times what people do is they start projecting what the answer is going to be or what they should say. If this person says this, then I'm going to say that. So these are all the things about past and future you know, colliding. And if you can just be present in that moment and allow yourself just to be fully with the person in front of you as they're talking without judgment, what is the outcome? And I found some really interesting things that happened for these leaders. One of them specifically as I remember from my research, was saying that by the end of the week, because he had been so present throughout that week, by the end of the week, he literally had to lock his door just to get a break because everybody was coming to talk to him. And this comes back to what you were saying about energy is that everybody suddenly 
picked up on the fact that the energy had changed around this person. And they were able to come in and actually talk to this person. In, and, and he said, you know, some people who came in hadn't talked to him in ages. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. There's so much that comes up. I, what you're saying is just so, um, um, it's so relevant because we do spend most of our time in the past or in the future. In the past, the past is where shame, guilt, all of that lives there. Which is why, you know, the beginning I was saying to have acceptance, we have to accept ourselves and we have to accept everything that we've done or that's, you know, happened to us. We have to take our responsibility because we need to be able to put those bags down because that that is heavy shit there, you know, so we need to leave it behind. The future hasn't happened yet. So we have a certain amount of energy, like physical energy in the day. You can either use it worrying or feeling guilty, or you can actually use it to, to, to take action and to make sure that, you know, you're doing whatever you can today to make tomorrow as good as it could be, basically. Um, and there are so many people who, you know, when you're saying in communication, in conversation, um, the conversation will start with, with one sentence and they'll be like, oh, yes, that, that's what we're going to talk about. And the fact that the conversation actually changes they don't care because they're still stuck on that one thing that they've decided they're going to talk about. So being present is one of the things that, so there's 11 sort of disciplines and being present is, you know, so important. Um, and in fact, it's, if you want to be a hundred percent, to have a hundred percent energetic engagement and to be able to perform well in everything that you do, presence is the step just before that. Um, you know, and there's, and it, it's, it is truly irritating when you're talking to somebody and they're looking over your shoulder because maybe something more interesting is happening or, you know, somebody's on their, you know, watching a movie and on their phone and just like, oh, you know, it's uh, right now is all we have. This moment here with you, you know, is, is literally all I have because when it's finished, who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. Yeah. And the other thing that came out of my research, which, you know, both of us being parents, was the realization of how when they thought they were with their children, they weren't really with their children. And that was a big change too. So again, being present is not just only communication, improving communication skills for their leadership ex you know, experience in work, but also in everyday life. One other point that I want to just kind of note, because I said there were two things and then I, we went off and we talked, which was great. Coming back to that, talking about energy still, one of the lessons I learned in communication, which was very profound, was when I was actually doing my PhD. And the way that I did it initially, one of the things, because it was in the UK and there's different systems, but one of the things that I had to do was an oral examination. But you do an oral examination in the beginning where you defend your research proposal. And because I was so nervous and so stressed out, I didn't realize that I was talking really quickly, like really fast. And, at, you know, after the experience, standing outside, standing with my supervisors, one of my supervisors turned to me and said, look, that was great. But if I can give you any advice, when you actually do the real examination, slow down, slow down. I didn't really get what she was saying, to be honest. She's like, slow down, you know, have some water on the table. <laughs> Take a sip of water just so you can take a pause. 
And I was like, okay, I didn't get it. Anyway, once I got to my examination, I took that advice on board and it was massive. And I've brought that into all of my communication. Just slow down. And when you slow down, not only do you pick up more of what's happening on the other end of that communication, the energy of the person, you know, how they're responding, how they're moving their body and so forth, but you have more time to kind of work through what you want to say and you come across in a way that is more appealing, or at least I think so. What do you think? No, I 100% agree. And I mean, the fact slowing down and it's a, it's a normal reaction to, to when, we're, when we're nervous to speak fast. Um, but it is true when you slow things down and take a breath, um, amazing things happen. And I would add to it, I would add to it the power of silence. You know, how often do people ask you a question and then because you haven't answered immediately, they're like following up with another question because it's like, oh, he's not understood what I said. Um, the power of silence, just give people the space to actually think about what you said um, and reflect on it. Um, is huge in in all kinds of communication. And going back to what you were saying about you know leaders with their children, um, communicating I think is something. Or just being how we are, we need to be because we are human beings like that in every facet of our lives. You know we need to give space and consideration and just slow down with everybody who we interact with, whether it's our two year old kid or a 90-year-old grandmother, or somebody at work, you know? Um, and I, I truly believe that the mark of a good leader is somebody who leads, who, who that, that's who he is, that's who they are, um, everywhere. And it's also okay to say you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Don't be the smartest person in the room, because if you are, you're in the wrong room. That's my belief. You know, it's... Um, for me, the whole journey of life is also about growing, you know, um, it's about learning about, you know, understanding. And that can only happen when you push yourself a little bit outside of your comfort zone. So be in that room where you have to maybe listen to what others are saying, because you might just learn something, you know, um, and it is OK. Yeah. And even when they ask you a question, it's OK to say, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, because that's how you learn. Yeah, let's figure it out yeah. together, right? Let's let's find a solution together. Exactly. I mean, we started off not knowing anything. We didn't know how to eat. We didn't know how to talk. We didn't know how to walk. So it's fine. Just say, let's learn. I think it's fabulous. You know, the, the whole mastery mindset, I think, is one that, that can take you to amazing places. I really do. To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses and our retreats in thailand head over to primal skills that's with a z.com